This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. You know, there's a lot of questions that might come up in our lives as, as we uh, develop as Christians. Um, there's questions that have come to my mind throughout the years and, and still come up occasionally. But how, how do you know as a Christian, how can you know if you're a Christian? How, how can you be sure? Um, how can you be sure that the life that you're living is actually pleasing to Christ or not? How do you know? Um, and, and do you even know if Christ loves you? And if you do, or, you know, how, how do you know that? Uh, I think those are questions that Christians uh, have struggled with, I've struggled with at times, knowing and feeling confidence in those questions. And uh, really the way that we can know is uh, by the doctrine of truth. That's how we can know. That's how we can understand if we truly are pleasing to Christ and if we are following Him and if, if we really are a Christian. Um, so the further we are from the doctrine of truth, the more those doubts are going to fill our hearts and fill our minds. And, you know, that's exactly what Satan wants from us. He wants us to be far removed from the, from the doctrine of truth. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to start uh, doubting and questioning and having these, uh, using our emotions against us and our fears and doubts, because that's a scary thing. I think, I think that's something everyone fears. Will Christ love me? Am I pleasing to him? Because we know that the outcome of that question is, am I going to heaven? Everybody wants to know that. And everybody wants to have confidence in that. But the further you are from the doctrine of truth, the more you're going to doubt that. The closer you are to it, uh, which is what Satan doesn't want you to be, uh, you are going to have more confidence. So let's examine really quickly and understand the, the doctrine of truth and how it came to be in the, the, uh, in the New Testament particularly. Um, f- the first question, obviously, we should ask is, what does doctrine even mean? We hear those words, we he- you know, hear that phrase, and doctrine is not just some kind of uh, theological stance that a group takes and develops, and uh, that's true, that can be true. But as far as the Bible, when we're talking about doctrine, simply it means that which is taught. That's the basic meaning of the word doctrine. It's just something that is taught, something that is uh, delivered, and an instruction that's given. Um, as far as the New Testament goes, Christ is the founder of the doctrine, and he came and spoke and taught doctrine and, and taught many things. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, starting in, in Matthew chapter 5, and it, and it concludes in Matthew chapter 7. At the end of that, in, in verse 28, it says, It came to pass... When he had ended all these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. What was it they were astonished at? The things that he was saying, the things that he was teaching, that thing which is taught, the doctrine. And they were astonished. The, the reason they were astonished is because it was different than what they had been hearing. He taught them as one having authority and not like the scribes. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time who came along. Their problem was not, uh, we've studied these, these things and talked about them before, But their problem was not that they were religious and that they wanted to serve God. Their problem was that their idea of serving God was you must follow the the law in the way we understand it. And they developed their own teachings and relied on their rabbis and, um, you know, developed their own doctrines. And and, uh, it was very, very different because 
Jesus spoke as one with authority, not like the scribes. And the reason he could do that is because his doctrine did not come from himself. He says in John 7, verse 16, he says, Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but it's him that sent me. It came from the Father. It came from a different source than these scribes and the Pharisees. You know, when they would teach people doctrine, they would say, these rabbis teach, or these rabbis say, and we believe it says this and says that, and they would, you know, try to teach the people from their, from their understanding. And it was obviously different than what Jesus was doing, because his came from the Father. And, and that's why he had authority. That's why he could speak with authority, because it comes from a different source. Um, and, and it was known and understood and felt as truth. And this was the entire purpose of Jesus coming into the world in the first place. All the things that Jesus did, all the things that he, he carried out, the signs and the wonders and the power that he displayed, all of it was to bear witness to the doctrine that he came and brought from the Father. When Pilate asked him on, on trial, and this is right before his crucifixion, in John chapter 18, verse 37, uh, the Roman official Pilate, he asks him, and he says, well, these people are saying you're a king. Are you a king? Jesus answered and says, you say that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So Jesus says, this is my whole purpose for coming into this world, coming into the flesh, and being and living in this world, uh, and even giving up his life. He's coming to bear witness to the truth, the doctrine that he came and he spoke and he taught to the people that they were astonished by that comes from the Father. Now, he taught his disciples these doctrines and taught them many things uh, that come from the Father. And those apostles, uh, you know, as, as we've pointed out uh, before, I think Pat mentioned this last week, we, we, we aren't going to be able to remember everything. You know, we, we, we're not. Um, and the apostles, even though they lived and traveled with Christ for those three years, um, being able to witness many things, they weren't going to be able to recall everything, and so they needed help. And that's why Jesus gave them this blessing of the, the Comforter. The Holy Spirit would come, he says in John 14, 26, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. So the apostles received the blessing of having knowledge from the Holy Spirit to remind them of the things that, that they learned from Christ. It was, all, uh, it was all in continuity with what Jesus taught them. It was reminding them of the things that Jesus said. It wasn't something, uh, it wasn't something different, though there might be uh, deeper explanations of things. It wasn't something in, that was different at all from what Jesus taught them. It was totally consistent and totally congruent with what Jesus taught them. And they needed this blessing. They needed this gift in, those, in that time because their job that Christ charged them with was to go and teach all nations. So how are these 12 guys from Galilee going to be able to remember every single thing that, they, that, that Christ told them and carry out this mission to go and teach this to all the world? How in the world were they going to do that apart from having, having some help um, from God himself to, so that they can keep the message consistent and pure? Um, otherwise, if they were relying on their memories, there's a whole lot more potential for it to become corrupt. Not intentionally, but it could become corrupt if we're just working from memory. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to do something from memory and forget a step. Or, you know, you, you, you remember something wrong and then the whole thing, you know, ends up getting messed up. So, 
we need to have this, this source. And they, they did, the apostles did. Because again, their job was to go and carry this doctrine forth to all the world. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus charged them and said, Go ye therefore and teach. What is it they're supposed to teach? Well, the truth, the doctrine, the thing that, that Christ taught them. They're supposed to go and carry and teach all of those instructions and make disciples. He, he, the process of becoming a disciple is not just you're a learner and you're being taught something. That, that is kind of the part of the process, but you're committing yourself to being a coming of a disciple by being baptized in the name of Jesus, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so he says, teach them, baptize them, and then what's, what else should they do? Well, continue teaching them. Once they become Christians, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And that's why God gave them the Holy Spirit, so that they could remember all things that Jesus commanded and help disciples develop in their growth as Christians. Um, and so it was important for them to have that. So it begins with Christ, or it really begins with the Father. He gives this message to Christ. Christ brought it into the world. He gave it to the apostles through the Holy Spirit and reminds them of the exact things that he taught them. And then those apostles went out and did that work. We saw it happen in Acts chapter 2. Uh, after Christ was resurrected and he ascended uh, to heaven and they were there at, at Pentecost, he instructed them to be at Jerusalem because that was the prophecies. It was fulfillment of all the prophecies that were in the Old Testament, that the word of the Lord would begin at Jerusalem and go out to the world from there. And so they're there at Jerusalem in Acts 2, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they start teaching the things that God wants them to know, and they start proclaiming this message of, you need to be saved, you need to be uh, baptized for the remission of your sins, and, and you know, he was uh, giving, rebuking them and exhorting them with words, and that's what it says here in Acts 2. It's kind of the summary. And with many other words, Peter uh, did testify and exhort them, saying, this was the sum of his message, all the words that he was exhorting them and saying to them and teaching them, the doctrine he was giving them, the whole summary is so that they could save themselves from this untoward generation. He, that's, that's what the whole point was of Peter getting up and talking to them and sharing the doctrine that came from Christ. Save yourself from this untoward generation. And then the people that heard this, those that gladly received his word, those that were listening to this doctrine and going, I'm, I'm going to accept this. I'm going to receive these words that this man is teaching me. They were baptized. They followed the instructions. They carried out the doctrine. Uh, as the doctrine stated, they carried that out and they were baptized. And that same day there were added to them, the, the, the disciples, the followers of Christ, the Christians, they were added to them 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people were open to hearing the Word of God, and they gladly received His Word. And that's a good attitude for us to have when we're hearing doctrine and hearing the Word of God is gladly receiving that. And, and then what did the church do in the, in, at, at that point? Did they just, they were baptized and they just kind of went on their way rejoicing and didn't have any more instruction, didn't have any more knowledge? No. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. Now the Apostles' Doctrine was not something that they made up. It wasn't just like, hey, well, you know, we were the ones with Christ the most, so let's figure out the best way to live like Christ. No, they had the Holy Spirit that was teaching them the message from Christ and reminding them. And so even though it's summarized or categorized as the apostles' doctrine, it's because they were the ones who were teaching. But what they were teaching was the doctrine of Christ. What they were teaching was the message of Christ. So truly, 
what they were hearing was not from the apostles, it was from Christ himself, which is from heaven. Uh, as, we, as we saw Christ even pointed out, it comes from the Father. So the people, the Christians in the early days, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And of course, in fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers, they'd become a family, but they needed the ongoing instruction uh, to know how to be Christians. And so that's really kind of the development we see in the church. Same exact pattern, and it doesn't change. The apostles go out, and they preach. They go to a place, and they share the doctrine. And the people that are receptive, they become Christians. He commended the Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 18. He says, But God bethink that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. What? That form of doctrine. The things that they were being told and being taught by the apostles. They obeyed from the heart uh, what they were speaking to them. And being made then free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. So they delivered a message. They delivered words that come from God. It's truth and it's, it's doctrine. And they obeyed it. They gladly received it. They became Christians. And now they are servants of righteousness. They're members of the kingdom. And it doesn't stop there again. Because at every place and every church when the apostles would come through they would make sure that the people were equipped with knowledge to understand now how do I live as a Christian because it's not good enough to just be baptized and then you're just kind of up to your own devices and kind of figuring it out on your own you need we all need further instruction so notice what Paul says in, in the in Thess, to the Thessalonians in 1st Thessalonians 4 he says furthermore then we beseech we beg you Brethren, by the, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God. You see, they received words and instruction and doctrine of how they ought to live and how, to, how they ought to please God. Uh, and he, he prays for them to abound more and more in that, in receiving the message from the apostles, receiving the understanding from God, receiving instructions on how they ought to live. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, it wasn't the apostles coming to these churches and giving them their own instructions and think, well, I think it would be good if you did this, or maybe it'd be best if you did that. No, the things that they delivered to the churches are, were commandments given to them by, by Jesus Christ. And then the people that gladly received it were baptized, and then they followed and, and uh, continuing to walk and please God. Now, their message was authoritative, not because they were... Uh, not because they were the ones leading this charge and spreading this message, but because, again, the commandments come from Jesus. And if there was anybody who did not gladly receive those words, not just the words of salvation and the instruction on how to be saved, but if there was anybody that did not gladly receive the following commandments of how to live and how to walk and be a Christian, as Jesus said, teach, baptize them, and teach them to observe all things, if people were contentious about that and rejected the teachings of the apostles, Paul had strong words for that. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, or in verse 8, in that same chapter, He therefore that despises, is not despising man, but he's despising God, who has also given to us his Holy Spirit. So Paul used uh, and brought that to mind, that credential that they had the Holy Spirit with them, and they proved it with, with powers and signs and all that kind of thing, to prove that what they were saying was true, so that people would receive it. And he says, anybody that despises the, those commandments... You're not rejecting Paul. You're not rejecting Peter and John 
and the other messengers that come along, like Timothy and these evangelists that carry the message, you're not despising a man, but the truth is you're despising God. If, if the people in the, in the early days, and even today, if we reject the teachings of the New Testament, we are not rejecting man's writings. We are rejecting God's message and His doctrine. And so we need to be mindful of that in the church um, and, and continue to observe all things that Christ taught us because those instructions that they received, the Thessalonians and the Romans and the people at Corinth and Galatia, all of this collection of, of instructions is relevant for us and beneficial for us. And we still today are built upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles. Paul said this in Ephesians 2 on verse 20. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So if we neglect the commandments of Christ and reject that, we are not building ourselves upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles. We're building ourselves on something else. And that's a counterfeit kingdom. But the church should be built on the foundation of the apostle, Christ and the apostles. Because Christ came into this world and brought the message from God and then passed it on to his apostles through the Holy Spirit. And there was continuity. There was, there was, um, there was consistency. The message didn't change. The, the directions didn't change. It was all consistent. And, and that's what he gave them to go and teach. And the church is built upon that. So we should be able to know and examine those things and understand if we're on the true foundation or not. And this is something, the doctrine that Christ gave and the doctrine that the apostles gave is something that we must continue in. We cannot drop those things. And that's what Paul told Timothy. Timothy was a young evangelist that he, he put in place and he sent him to Ephesus and he traveled around with Paul and Timothy was there working and laboring and sharing these messages. The doctrine he received from Paul, that Paul received from the Holy Spirit, that they received from Christ. So, uh, so 1 Timothy 4, uh, 13 through 16, he writes to Paul, uh, Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhort exhortation, and to doctrine. He says, pay attention to doctrine. Don't let go of those things and leave off from those things. And, and down in verse 16, he says, Take heed to yourself. Like, pay attention to yourself. Watch yourself. Make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do, and pay attention to the doctrine. Why? And, and, and continue in them. Why should you do that? For in doing this, you will save yourself and those that hear you. So if you want to be saved, if you want to know that you're saved, take heed to the doctrine. Follow the doctrines that the, that the apostles gave us, the eyewitnesses of Jesus wrote for us to understand and delivered through the Holy Spirit to us. Um, and, and continue in those things. And... The blessing is you'll be able to save others who you will teach and hear. Because if you don't have the right doctrine and you're going around trying to tell people how to be saved and you're not teaching them the right thing, you're not helping anyone be saved. Instead, you're leading them to, to damnation because it's not in alignment with what the scriptures teach. And none of us would want to be guilty of that. I know. None of us would ever want to, uh, to have to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, yeah, hey, I shared, I shared about Jesus to a thousand people, but the doctrine was wrong. At least I got Jesus' name right. That's, it's just not going to pass. It's not going to work. 
Uh, so we need to make sure that we have the correct doctrines, that we're continuing in the right doctrines, the doctrine of truth, because it means our salvation and the people that we share the message with as well. Uh, so there's a lot on the line. I hope we can understand that. There's a lot on the line here, and we must continue in that. Unfortunately, there is also, now this is the doctrine of truth, and we know where it comes from. We can, we can have confidence in where it comes from, these messages that we have in the New Testament. However, there is also such a thing as false doctrine. Um, because the, very quickly in, in the early days, and I mean this happened even in the days of Israel, this has been happening for a long time because Satan is a deceiver, he's a liar, from the beginning of creation, uh, it, as Jesus said in John 8, he is a murderer from the beginning and he's a liar and he's only seeking his own interest and he deceived Eve and so from that point forward, there was a ton of, tons of false doctrines and false ideas and things that are going to be misleading. And it's not any different today uh, because there is such a thing as false doctrine uh, that we have to really be on guard for. Pay attention to the true doctrine is what we should do. Uh, very quickly in the early days of the church when the apostles were going out and teaching, there were false apostles. There were people who were pretending to be apostles. There were imposters. And they were going to the churches and giving them messages and giving them instruction that was not in alignment with what the apostles were teaching. And Paul wrote about it in Corinthians and in other places. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 through 4, Paul expresses his fear to the, to the church at Corinth. Now, commonly, they would go into these congregations and they would be supported by them while they're there, you know, spending time with them. And so the congregations would you know, provide for them financially or shelter or food and things like that as they're doing the work there uh, in those places. Now, Paul chose not to do that at Corinth. Corinth was a very wealthy place. It was a port city. It was very wealthy. And I think the, the people in the, the church there would have been very wealthy as well. Now, it makes sense that false apostles would come along and try to take advantage of them and take their money. But Paul made a conscious decision that when he was working with the church at Corinth, he is not going to accept their money. He is not going to take anything from them because he wanted to, to make a clear difference uh, in their, like he just wanted to make it obvious that he is not there for their money like these other false teachers were. And they arose and they come up and they take their money. And the problem was, and you can read it in, in the letter at, at Corinth, the people at Corinth, they were offended by that. They got upset by that. And they started getting mad at Paul over that. And he says, the more I love you and the more I'm acting in loving ways to you, the less I'm loved. And they felt like Paul had something against them and they just let that become some weird source of tension between them and Paul. And Paul just poured out his love more and more towards them. But he did it on purpose so that they would not ever claim that he was there to take advantage of them. And here he expresses his fear to them. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which we have not received, 
or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Paul was scared that these, these false apostles would come with a totally different message, and they were doing that, and that the, that the people at Corinth would just accept it and go with it. A different Jesus that they didn't preach, a different gospel, a different spirit that they didn't receive, and they were just going to blindly follow along and go with it. Paul was terrified of that, and he, I mean, there's other places where it talks about how he warns with tears. He warned the, the people at Ephesus with tears for three years, warning them that teachers would arise, false teachers, wolves, ravening wolves that would ravish the congregation and, and destroy the people of God. Paul was very careful about making sure to warn people. But you can see his, you can see his desire here, his fear, his protection of them, and how frustrating it must feel to know You've come in, you've done these works, you've proved yourself as an apostle, you're teaching them the truth, but all of a sudden somebody else can come in with a whole different message and they're just going to go along with it. That's heartbreaking. And Paul pointed out that they are false apostles. And, and you go down to verse 13, he says, Such are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. They are transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They are imposters. They're pretending to be sanctioned by Jesus as apostles eyewitnesses of his resurrection, but they're not. They're fake. They're false. And he says, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And I think that's the most terrifying verse in the Bible. That Satan can make himself look like an angel of light. And then Paul says, well, and if that's the case, it's not surprising. It's not some great thing if his servants, his ministers, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. There's a lot of people doing the work of Satan, and it appears that they are ministers of righteousness. And that's terrifying. That should, that should scare us greatly, especially not just as disciples and thinking about the church, but especially as parents, protecting our children and teaching them the truth. Because it's hard to tell sometimes. It really is. And uh, Paul, Paul warned about this in Second Timothy 4. He wrote to Timothy and he said, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The people are going to reject the truth, the sound doctrine. Sound meaning whole. It's, it's good. It's wholesome. But what are they going to endure instead, and what are they going to go for? But after their own lusts, their own desires. That word lust, I know sometimes it's confusing, and you know, it's not always something of a sexual nature, but it's just your own desires. People are going to, according to their own desires, what they want, what they like, what they think, are going to heap to themselves teachers, meaning they're going to lift up these people that come along, that seem like great men of God, that seem like great teachers, because they have itching ears. They want to be satisfied by hearing what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. And the sad thing is that a lot of false doctrines will cause us to turn away from the truth, but we're going to be happy about it. We're going to feel so good about it. 
And it is really hard to tell the difference between the truth and falsehood sometimes because Satan is crafty, he is subtle, it's not obvious. There's some things that are obvious, but some things are not so obvious. And it's important. And there's so much more we could say about false prophets and false teachers and, um, and, and that could, because there's a lot in the Bible that, that talks about this uh, because God wanted to ensure that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices using these false messages and false teachings. But if, if we're only, this is a good check for ourselves, if we're only interested in hearing what we want to hear, we should be careful. And instead we should seek sound doctrine. So with all this false doctrine in the world today that we have to deal with and that we face and that we see today, I mean, this is just what happened in their time, but it's exactly the same as what's happening in our time. Um, with so much false doctrine in the world, what can we actually do as Christians? What should we actually do? Well, we can follow the same instruction that they received in the New Testament. John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Don't just believe everything you hear. That's the starting point right away. Don't just receive it and go, oh yeah, that sounds wonderful. You used a Bible verse. Oh, that's great. You said you were a Christian. Oh, you used a Christian word. And so now my guard is down and now I'm okay with it. I'm going to just believe what you said. No, don't do that. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test them. Put them to the test. What you're hearing from people, put it to the test. Verify it. Don't just accept it blindly. Whether, and find out whether these messages are from God or not. Why? Because there's many false prophets that have gone out into the world. There's a lot out there. And if we're not careful, we will be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. So we must test according to the scriptures. And if we don't know the truth, that's going to be a problem. If we don't know the doctrines of the truth, that's going to be an issue and we won't be able to do this very well. Look at, uh, because that's the way that we should verify the truth and sort these things out. 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 18, Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Sometimes you, sometimes you might feel ashamed because you're like, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know how to deal with this, this doctrine that's come up. Somebody said this thing, but I really don't know, and I'm confused. It can feel it. I've, I've definitely felt that and feel that all the time. But we should study um, and be diligent and, and studious in our approach to the scripture so that we don't need to be ashamed, so that we can rightly divide the word of truth, and that means rightly handling it, being able to, to know what it means and know how it applies and know how to use it properly. And we should shun profane and vain babblings because they are going to increase to more ungodliness. When we follow false doctrines, that's what it's going to produce is more ungodliness. It's not gonna produce godliness, it'll produce ungodliness. And their word, false teachers, will eat as doth a canker or gangrene, something that's a disease that's going to grow and spread, and it's slow, and it's gross. And if you want a story, a nasty story about dealing with gangrene, talk to Lana. She used to work in surgery, and she can, you know, just, just you know, if you want to eat less for lunch today, talk to her about that. Um, and he gives an example of people at the church that Timothy was having to deal with, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They were false teachers. And here's what they were teaching. Who concerning the truth, they have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. And they overthrow the faith of some. 
This is what they were telling people. Well, the resurrection's already come. The resurrection of Christ has already happened. And I'll tell you what, there are people that call themselves members of the church that believe that very thing. That the resurrection happened already. And they believe in this doctrine that's, that, that, that it happened in 70 AD. That's when the resurrection occurred. And we're not waiting for a resurrection to happen anymore. If you know the doctrine, if you know the truth, then you won't be persuaded by that because you know that's not true. And that's objectively just not true, that the resurrection hasn't happened because this world hasn't been judged and we're not, the, the saved are not, have not been taken to heaven. That's just objectively true. So he says, he gives this example of these people and he says, watch out, but the best way we can do to be equipped, the best thing we can do to be equipped and be prepared is to study, to show yourself approved, understanding how to handle these doctrines. So try them. And if you don't know and you don't feel confident in that, then study to grow in your knowledge so that you can try these messages and test them, put them to the test and find out whether they're from, from God or not. The other thing that we need to do regarding false doctrine is once we test these things and we understand that someone's teaching falsehoods, Paul gave very clear warnings to the Romans. Uh, because remember, false doctrines eat like a canker. They start off and then they, it's a disease and it spreads and it grows. And before you know it, the whole, uh, it just causes tremendous problems and it kills a lot of people and overthrows the faith of people. And souls are lost in the process. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. He says, Now I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. If somebody comes along with a message that is contrary to the doctrine of the apostles and of Jesus, avoid them. Don't, don't, don't give them space. Don't give them space in your heart and your mind. Avoid them. Now, of course, we need to be gentle teachers of the truth. Uh, as, as, as it says, we should be able to convince people with doctrine and we should attempt to help people. But if it's obvious that they're just not going to listen and they're, they're causing divisions and offenses, just avoid it. For they that are such are not serving Jesus. And no matter how many times somebody comes to you and says they're serving Jesus, you hear these things on the radio, you hear these things on the TV, you see these things on the internet, all these things that they say we're serving Jesus, but they're not. They're serving their own belly. They're serving their own self and their own desires and their own wealth and their own platforms and their own whatever. Or if, if somebody's been deceived and they're starting to teach these things, they're serving their own emotions and they're serving their own feelings and their own experiences, whatever it is. They're not really serving Christ. Paul makes that clear. And he says, by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. And that's how it happens. Good words. And beautiful speeches. Things that sound so wonderful and so inspiring. And you cannot pass a lie off without mixing it with truth. And it will sound beautiful and wonderful. And the messages that people come along, it will sound like it's so great because they've They've paired it with Scripture, and they might sprinkle in a little bit or a lot of Scripture. But just because it includes Scripture is not a sign that it is true. Because don't forget, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what was, Satan, was, was one of Satan's tactics? He knew how to quote the Bible accurately. Just because it has Scripture does not mean it's, that the message behind it is true. So be careful. Have your eyes open. 
Don't be ignorant and don't let yourself be swept away into the mouth of the lion that is ready to destroy you. Be careful. Be on guard. Avoid those things. And understand that God is not going to force you to believe the truth. We have to do this. We have to put the effort in and the time in to understand it and to verify it and check it, make sure it's consistent and congruent with the teachings of the apostles. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 through 12, he gives some, some even scarier examples. He says, there, it prophesied of a time of somebody coming who, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Paul warned about this, and Jesus also warned. We'll look at a, another warning that Jesus gives here in a moment in Matthew 24. Um, but false teachers sometimes can have lying wonders and signs, lying power. They can pass off as, as if they're some wonderful thing from God, and they can fool and deceive. Don't forget Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. They all were saying with one voice, this man is the great man of God. But he was using sorceries and trickery and all kinds of things to deceive them. So it is possible for us to be deceived even with power and signs and lying wonders. And he says that this, this one that they're speaking of with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? The people that follow those lying wonders and signs and are deceived by that, why are they going to perish? because they receive not the love of the truth. They receive not the love of doctrine, that they might be saved. And God is not going to force you to believe what the Bible teaches. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they might all be condemned or damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. He will let you, if you, are, if you want to go into error, you want to twist the scriptures, you want to believe the lying wonders and the false prophets that come along, God will let you. He's given us warning after warning after warning and, and tells us to check it and test it. And that's, if we don't take that up for ourselves and take that charge and take that for one another, he's going to let us go into this delusion, especially if we don't have a heart that loves the truth. He's not going to force you to love the truth. That's something that you need to decide to do. And given that there's so much confusion, given that there's so much false doctrines in the world that we're having to deal with, it causes a lot of uncertainty. There has been so much division and so much chaos and so much fighting that this confusion leaves Christians in the, in the, in the middle going, I don't really know what to believe. I don't know what to receive. I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. I don't know if Christ loves me or not. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. And we start developing these serious doubts in our life. But again, the further away we are from the truth, the more we're going to have those doubts and uncertainties. And the sad thing is, is that, as Paul said, we're going to think we're doing what's well and good and you know, great and because we have itching ears and it feels good, so then it must be right. Um, and we're going we're gonna to have itching ears all the, way, all the way to being cast into like a fire. And that's just sad and horrible. And so we need to have our ears open and our eyes open and get close to the doctrine. 
get get study and get close to it so that we can understand it and that we can have confidence. Because that's the next thing we should, that, that I, the question I want to look at for a moment. How can we know, given the case that there's true doctrine and there's false doctrine, how can we know if we're following the true doctrine or not? Jesus said, you will know, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look right. They sound right. They're in sheep's clothing. They look like me. They're acting like me. But inside, they're ravening wolves. You shall know them how? By their fruits. By the product of their actions, their words. Look at their life. Look, if, it's a, if it's a particular doctrine of some church or some group, look at the outcome. Look at the results. Do men gather grapes from thorns? Is it possible to get figs from thistles? No. You know if it's a thorn bush or you know if it's just thistles by looking at it and seeing what is produced on there. I mean, we could walk down to an orchard and go, what kind of orchard is this? Oh, it's apples. There's apples on the tree. We can look at the fruit and, and identify the, the type of tree it is. And that's what Jesus says to do. Look at the fruit. If you want to know how to identify false doctrine, look at the fruit. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. So, how can we know the fruit? And if the fruit is corrupt, that is a, that is a sign right there. It's obvious that the root is corrupt. If the fruit is corrupt, the root is corrupt. So, pay attention to the fruit. And even then, make sure that the fruit is actually good. Because it might look good, it might seem good, but keep examining the fruit uh, because we can be deceived. You know, a lot of people, even today, this is, this is uh, widespread. There are millions of people who are bought into the types of doctrines and are sold lies and corruption and deceit. And the way that these people are selling it to them are by signs and wonders, which we read about in Thessalonians, that the workers of Satan are able to produce power and signs and lying wonders. Jesus warned about this. And so that's a question we should ask. How will we know? Is the fruit of a, of a teacher of truth signs and powers and wonders? Well, that was the case in the first century with Paul and the apostles. But also, there were false teachers who could do those things, or it seemed Jesus warned about this. Now, this is specific to the fall of Jerusalem, I believe, but he's telling them to be careful because the principle is... is is still sound and that still applies. Matthew chapter 24, verse 23. Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, don't believe it. Jesus told him himself, if somebody tells you Christ is over here or Christ has come over here, don't believe it. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The people who, the, the most ardent followers and believers of Christ, they would be capable of being deceived, he says, if it's possible. And so these, these signs are convincing. These wonders are convincing. But he says, watch out, because they're, they are false Christ and they are false apostles. 
So do not take signs and wonders. Even today, if anybody is telling you that, do not take that as a sign if that person is, is following the truth or not. Because in fact, it's not a sign of whether you're saved. It's not a sign whether you're preaching the truth. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Starting in verse 20. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? They're teaching about Christ. They're going and telling people about Christ. Have we not in thy name cast out devils? That sounds like a good thing if people are People are demon-possessed, right? Taking these devils out of them. And in thy name, we've done many wonderful works. Jesus, we did this all for you. We did this in your name. And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Maybe that's the scariest words in the scripture. Thinking you've lived your entire life in service to Christ, only to come to the judgment day and hear, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's going to be a sad day if we haven't paid attention and aren't watchful and aren't following the doctrines and aren't trying the spirits and the messages that come along because it's not a sign at all whether we're saved. In fact, it could be a sign that we're not. So we need to be sure by testing and studying and knowing. And the one surefire way we can know is if these false teachers that come along with these signs and these wonders and these things are inconsistent with the message of the apostles. Because that's, that is just flatly true. I have seen and watched many things over the years, and you see these guys claim this great power of God, and then they tell you this whole wrong message of how to be saved. And they give you this whole wrong idea of what it means to serve Christ and all these other things that are inconsistent. And you just watch their services. You can see all the ways that they're doing things unscripturally, not in line with what the apostles taught, not in line with what they thought was from Jesus. So it's not in line with Christ, as we said. They're despising not man, but they're despising God. But they're claiming to be great workers of miracles. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. If there's inconsistency with what Christ and the apostles taught, we should take that very seriously. And he says, he was surprised at the Galatians. Now, what was happening here? The Galatians were being deceived by, by Jews that had become Christians that started telling them, you need to obey the law, you need to follow the law. And there was probably other types of messages they were receiving that were, that were false. They were not true. Galatians chapter 1, uh, it, read, the entire chapter is worth reading, but he says, I, am, I marvel that you have been so soon removed from him that called you into his grace unto another gospel. He said, I'm so shocked. I'm so surprised. Just like he told the Corinthians. So this is a prevalent problem in the church in, in the early days and even now. He says, I'm so surprised that somebody came along preaching a different message and you just went along with it. And he says, there's some. He's like, and it's a different gospel. And it's not another it doesn't sound like it's a different gospel, but there's some that trouble you and would pervert the, co the gospel of Jesus. They're using the same message, and then they're perverting the message. And he says, 
even though we, the apostles, or the evangelists that traveled with him, even though we, or even an angel from heaven, if they come along to you and preach anything that's different, anything that's different from the gospel than, than that which we have preached to you, let that person be accursed. That person or that angel, let him be accursed. Because it's serious when we don't teach people the true gospel. It's serious and it's leading people's souls straight to the lake of fire with a smile on their face and they're going to stand before Christ on judgment day going, I thought we were doing what's right. And we may very well be as well if we're not sure and, and certain and, and know what the doctrines teach. But Paul said very clearly, if anybody comes along and the gospel, their teaching is different, do not accept that. We should flatly reject that. Do our best to try to help them understand the truth, but just flatly reject that. Don't let that come into your heart and mind and be persuaded to leave Christ, because that's what he told the Galatians. By doing this and following their teachings, you have fallen away from Christ. That's what the outcome is. And Satan is happy for you to fall away from Christ. He doesn't care. He wants you to be destroyed. So, doctrines that are not according to the Scripture are going to be inconsistent with what Jesus and the apostles taught. And if any man is claiming to be from the Spirit and having the Spirit and doing works of the Spirit, but they're teaching wrong ways, they're teaching a whole separate gospel, that is a huge red flag. And you should know right there, right then, this is not from God. Um, True doctrine, on the other hand, how can we know that's false doctrine and identifying false doctrine? There's probably other things that we could talk about, but really quick, I want to go through the true, uh, what true doctrine will produce in our life and how we can know. Examine the fruits, and is it true? Uh, is, it, is it good fruit that's being produced? What's the kind of good fruit that will be produced? Uh, first of all, we struggle with this question of, does God love me? The way you will know is by the doctrine. Galatian, or, uh, John, Jesus said this in John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, that means you're hearing the doctrines, you're receiving the doctrines, you're studying the doctrines from Christ, and you're obeying those doctrines. You're following that and applying it into your life. If you do this, you will abide in my love. What a blessing. Jesus gives us the way to know whether we, that he loves us or not. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If we, want to, if we want to be loved by Jesus and remain in His love, hear His words and keep His words. It's simple. As Paul said, the simplicity that is in Christ, we shouldn't be beguiled from that by Satan's lies. It's not more complicated than that. It's hard to do. It's painful. It's difficult. But it's worth it. And it's simple. Um... That's good fruit number one. You will be loved of God. Number two, God will dwell with you. God will be inside of you and live with you. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said, If any man love me, he will keep my words. Again, hear the words, keep the words of Jesus, his doctrine, the doctrine of truth. And what is the result? My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Jesus will dwell in you if you hear and if you're a lover of the truth and a follower of his commandments, he will be in you. And if you ever doubt and, and think, how do I know if I'm actually in Jesus or if I'm not in Jesus? John gives us that too. So that's the third fruit we can, we can get from following the true doctrine. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. And hereby we do know, we know 
that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know Jesus, but is not keeping his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps the word, and Christ's word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. It's completed. It's, um, and, and hereby we know that we are in him. So the way to know whether you're in Christ is by hearing and obeying the, the doctrine. We need the doctrine. That's why it's important to take heed to it and read it and spend time studying it and spend time rightly dividing it and applying it into our lives. Uh, you will be loved of God. He will dwell in you and you will know, you will have confidence that you are in Christ. And then a fourth blessing is that you will know that you love God's people and that you are part of this family. He says in John 5, 2 through 3, by this we know that we love the children of God. How? When we love God and keep his commandments. Because that's the commandment of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not meant to torture our lives and to torment us into having no joy and no peace and no love in this life. That's not what his commandments are. Um, but they will cause us to love the brethren, love God's people. So that's number four. Number five, it'll help us to be saved and help us to be equipped to live as the saved. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul commended Timothy and he said that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation which, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It comes from him and it is breathed from his mouth and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished, completely furnished into every good work. He wants you to be totally equipped to do the work that he has called for us to do and producing love and producing disciples in this world. And the Holy Scriptures can make us wise to salvation, that's fruit number five, and can equip us to be furnished to all the good works that we need to do, that's fruit number six. And in the face of all the people in this world today who this very morning are teaching messages and having, having these uh, you know, experience-based worship services where they're falling down and saying they're speaking in tongues and saying they're doing all these things and not even that. It might, it might be something different. They might not be doing those things, but it's still an experience-based thing where people are coming because they enjoy the kind of music or they enjoy the environment. They enjoy the, enjoy the lights. They enjoy the stage. Whatever it is, those signs are not signs of, that, you know, that are produced um, that define whether or not we're truly following the truth. So what kind of fruit, because the Bible does say that we should have fruits from the Spirit that are emanating from our lives, that are coming from us. Are they miraculous abilities? No. We studied that last week. But what is it of the Spirit that we should be producing and showing in our lives and manifesting in our lives? Paul said in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit, the thing that will be evidence to whether or not you're a Christian whether or not you're living as a disciple of Jesus, whether or not you're a good tree or corrupt tree, he says, is this fruit of the Spirit. And what are those things that will be evident in our lives? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. 
If these are the types of things being produced in your life, this is the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what God wants you to do. That's the work of the Spirit that He wants to happen in your life. And He wants that to be obvious and evident. Against such there is no law. And those that are Christ's, because we have this fruit that we're producing, we have this, this change that's happening in our heart, and we are lovers of the truth, and we are pursuers of the truth, we have crucified the flesh with our affections and our, our desires. We're not about ourselves anymore. We're about Christ and about serving others. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. And conduct them. walking in the Spirit means to conduct ourselves in the Spirit in alignment with the teachings of the Holy Spirit and with Christ and the apostles and carrying out these commandments. And let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. It's going to be obvious and it's going to be different and it's going to be a, a tremendous blessing when you see the the fruit that the true doctrine produces in your life. Um, I'm sure there are way more blessings that we could talk about as far as what we will be producing in our life if we are following the truth. But I want to, to give you this encouragement. This has been on my, uh, on my mind um, a lot, especially lately. And I want to encourage you all and commend you all to the truth, the true doctrine. Don't take this because I'm up here telling you this. Take it because it's in the scriptures. Go and study it. Go examine it. Go and test even the things that I'm telling you. Um, but know that you can have confidence and, and you can be producing good fruit in your life. And, um, and I hope that that brings you a measure of, of peace and at least some understanding on how we can know for sure. Uh, the way we know is by the doctrine of truth. If you're not close to the doctrine of truth this morning, if you feel like you're far off, you feel like you're isolated, you feel like you're weak, because that's what it's going to produce in our life, weakness. It's going to produce, it's going to produce uh, uncertainty. And if that's you this morning, we want to pray with you, and we're here to help, whatever we can do. We want to study the Bible. We, we love sharing the Scriptures. We love talking about the Scriptures. Um, and so that's, that's what we can offer as far as helping you. Uh, but only you humbling yourself and receiving the love of the truth, that's the only thing that will help you, that, that will begin uh, to change you. So uh, come, if you need prayers, we're here to pray with you, and, and uh, we can study with you further. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've heard these messages, the commandments of Jesus are that we should be baptized into Christ, be saved by His blood, and become members of His body and live as Christians. And if you haven't done that, if you, if you are worried about the judgment and standing before him going, well, I thought I was a good person. And he says, I don't know who you are. If you're scared of that, you can be sure that Jesus will know you if you are following the commandments. So it begins with that first step, and we invite you into the family of Christ if, if that's on your mind and want uh, to, to receive that fruit and that blessing in your life.